We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. Welcome in. It's time for another Three Mile Pod. I am John Kurtz, joined as always by Cole Manbeck, former beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury, Derek Young, currently of K-State Online, now with On3, by the way. Uh, didn't talk about that last week, but a little change in DY's world, I think, for the better. And we have football to talk about now, ladies and gentlemen. K-State wins the season opener 34 to nothing over South Dakota. Wildcats get a victory, a lot of positives, a lot of good, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. And then major questions with the passing game that K-State did not utilize very much or very often against South Dakota and the kicking game, which resulted in two missed kicks. We'll cover it all here over the next uh, 45 minutes or so on the Three Maw Pod, but we do need to thank our sponsor as always. It is Holiday Distillery. Great K-State people. We appreciate their support. As always, make sure you try the 360 Vodka, the Ben Holiday Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Uh, we got some tweets over the weekend of people enjoying their 360 vodka in particular was the, the one that I remember seeing out there. I've had a couple people come up to tell me recently that they really enjoyed the Ben Holiday bottled and bond bourbon. So uh, the reviews have been very good. Pack it at your tailgates. we got a big one coming up this week against Mizzou uh, and a lot of home games here to start the year. So you need to be stocked up. Get out there and support Holiday Distillery and make sure that when you are out at the game, whether it's Bill Snyder Family Stadium or somewhere else, rock the Charlie Hustle gear. They've got a new line of K-State gear to get you all prepared and ready to go, much like this shirt that I am wearing right here. So thanks to Charlie Hustle as well for supporting the pot. Okay, to summarize basically what we saw on Saturday, I, I put it like this. I think the good, the defense. I don't really have many complaints at all on defense. In fact, I, I think you're really nitpicking if you do. Uh, special teams was up and down. There are big concerns with the kicking game, but you did make a huge play and block a punt. The running game, great. No complaints. Almost 300 yards rushing. Deuce was deuce. Uh, DJ Giddens had a nice debut, etc. But then the passing game. That's going to be what a lot of people focus on and worry about for not only Mizzou, but for the upcoming season. Uh, Adrian Martinez didn't make any mistakes, but also just didn't do a whole lot. Only threw the ball 15 times for less than 100 yards. So, is that a fair summation, D.Y., basically, of what we saw in week one against South Dakota? Yeah, and I think it is. I think that's what a lot of people would choose to go that route, and I think that's probably the fairest you know, summary of their performance moving forward. 
I guess I'll say this from my point of view and almost play a little bit of devil's advocate to some of the things you said, just maybe to, to provoke a little conversation here. They didn't show that they couldn't pass the ball. They, they almost chose that they didn't want to, right? Um, Adrian really only took one shot downfield and to his credit, perfect throw right in the basket for Phillip Brooks down the middle of the field, right on the mark could have been a touchdown. Um, other times I thought he could have maybe rolled the dice and, and taking a chance and be a little bit aggressive with his arm, but he just chose not to. They didn't show that they couldn't throw the ball. They basically said, you know, we're not taking any chances. You, South Dakota played over a lot of routes, and Kansas State chose to say, hey, with a comfortable lead, Missouri next week, we'll just take what you're giving us and we'll still beat you 34 to nothing that way. That's basically what they chose to do. Um, I think – from a fan standpoint, I think you would have liked to see maybe be a little bit of aggressive just to kind of have, uh, you know, good thoughts that they can do it, kind of prove it and put it on paper. But I don't know that they wanted to put it on paper, so they didn't. Defensively, if I was to play devil's advocate, it was a little bit like Stanford last year, uh, which was also a pretty good defensive performance where they looked like they were flying all over the ball, flying to the ball, you know, hats to the ball, playing fast. But there was also times where they got bailed out by maybe a lot of wide receiver drops here and there. There, there was probably more passing windows there than what we're probably giving South – we're not giving South Dakota enough credit for that. So I think there's still holes in the defense that you're going to need to plug. Um, I think the only difference uh, between this and the Stanford game is uh, that, that Stanford game could have been a trend for the rest of the year. But then they had the Khalid Duke injury – and that kind of, you know, they had to change what they did with the three-three-five scheme that they were unrolling at, rolling out at the time. This year, they're not rolling it out. They're comfortable within that scheme. Um, there's no injury that's going to make them divert and go a different route. And I think the biggest difference is the defensive line was utterly dominant. And I think it was probably more the linebackers in the secondary last year against Stanford. And I think uh, on Saturday against South Dakota, it was the defensive line getting, doing anything that they wanted I like that they were able to keep a lot of those guys fresh. I don't think Felix, Andy, DK, Zama, Julius Brents, Daniel Green, guys like that even played much in the second half. Yeah, they got a lot of bodies on the D-line. I mean, they just constantly rotated guys. And Brennan Mott, I thought, really flashed as well at the D-end position. So you have to feel good about the – you got four guys at least at D-end that I think you feel pretty good about on that side of the ball. On the offensive side of the ball – John and I sat together at the game, so we dissected a lot of this. And the passing game, obviously, was our biggest concern. I think it was a pretty vanilla game plan, but I think everybody would have felt better if Kansas State would have connected on just a couple of throws downfield, a couple deep balls or 20-yard posts or what be it. But you know, there weren't a lot of routes being run downfield. There was the one throw to Phillip Brooks that was really a really good throw into double coverage that probably could have been caught, should have been caught potentially, um, and that's the only throw they made downfield. I think D.Y. what they the longest pass completion of the day was for, for Adrian anyways, was an 11 yard pass to Sammy Wheeler. And that was the only pass that went for over 10 yards. Yeah. Uh, when, one quibble I would have too. some of those downfield balls that they did throw the one to Brooks and the one to D.J. Giddens actually in the end zone, which was probably not Adrian's best throw of the day either. Just kind of almost wish sometimes there would be different targets. There, there's just not a big catch radius when you're throwing it to a guy like Brooks downfield. Yeah. You know, look, ultimately I think the passing game is going to be okay, but Adrian Martinez averaged 9.4 yards per pass last year at Nebraska, which was the seventh best mark in the country. He can throw the ball downfield. To me, he almost looked 
timid, tentative, a little bit undecisive, almost like he was just worried about not turning the ball over. We know what the reputation was at Nebraska, and it felt like there was a real conscious effort by the coaching staff and by Adrian Martinez to take care of the football and not and kind of be risk averse in this game, get game one out of the belt without turnovers being the narrative on Adrian Martinez. And so not much thrown downfield, obviously would have liked to have seen that, seen more rhythm in the passing game. I think Adrian's going to be fine. Maybe our biggest, bigger concern is the receiver position. Look, we've been saying that Kansas state needs more explosiveness at the receiver spot for years. And this is the same receiving core really that they had last year. Malik Knowles, Phillip Brooks, Cade Warner, your top three, they're all back. You just like to see more from them. Um, I don't know if there were a lot of routes ran downfield necessarily, but I do think Kansas State's going to have to be better at receiver and more explosive. And, and if that's RJ Garcia getting more snaps, it was one of my disappointments that he only played, I think, 13, 15 snaps in that game. And a lot of that was really in garbage time in the second half. You know, we heard so much talk about him in the offseason and was hoping he would be that kind of new guy that gives him a little bit more explosiveness to the position. And that didn't happen. Jaden Jackson didn't play the transfer from Ole Miss. So it's really the same core of guys, and you know it just left a little bit to be desired. Yeah, I mean, Keen Garber, Keen Garber, still not doing anything. You know, I mean, he, he, he played, played some. It was garbage time. They just didn't rotate a receiver. That was a surprise. And and look, I, I share very much the same concerns about receiver. Before I get into that, I want to make this point too on on Adrian Martinez. I'm just gonna. I, I understand that the the message. If you listen to Chris Kleiman's post game press conference, the message was very much. We didn't want him to turn the ball over, take what the defense was giving him. I thought he handled things very well. Like it was, you know, classic climbing where he's going to stick up for his guys in post-game press conferences. But we've heard him call Will Howard the best backup quarterback in the country. I believe basically a year ago today um, is when that happened after the Stanford game. And, and I think we realize now that there was probably some covering going on there, just typing his guys up, which is all fine. But let me go back to and D.Y., I'll need you on this. But wasn't there a Colin Klein, Colin Klein quote at one point during fall camp about being asked about like, Hey, Adrian had a lot of turnover issues. Do you tell him, Hey, you need to really emphasize taking care of the ball. And I believe the answer was like, no, like we're not going to do that. We're not going to put that in his head. We don't want to put that kind of pressure on him, whatever, just go out and do your thing. And so that was the attitude going into the game. But then after the game, when he does look fairly tentative, the message is, well, look, we, we didn't want that. We The game plan was to be very conservative. The game plan was to not force it. I, To me, that felt a little bit inconsistent, and it goes back to, which I think is a good thing, that Kleiman sticks up for his guys. But it comes back to, like, I just feel like Kleiman was was covering a little bit there in the postgame press conference. Sorry, that's the home phone going off again. But, no, I, I, I kind of agree with you on that. I will say, to, if I want to play devil's advocate again, at the same time, there, there was – a point to, you know, when they're Adrian's talking about this, where he said they, they was just taking what the defense gave them at the same time. Like they were playing over those routes. So I think, I don't know that he was playing not to turn it over. I think he was basically saying, you know, they're coaxing me into this. You know, if I do take these chances, I am going to have turnovers. And probably the worst time to do that would probably be in his first game. Right. So it's yeah. like, here, here we go again. And then Colin Klein during the week, during his press conference, I will say this, he was asked about keeping a vanilla, doing the Bill Snyder school of thought, maybe don't show too much in that week one, especially with Missouri looming in week two. And he kind of hinted that they would probably do that. So, you know, 
so I take that into consideration too. I think Colin Klein even, you know, was a Thursday when he spoke to us, kind of shared that, you know, that was probably going to be part of the plan, not to show too much. When if you want optimism for the passing game, uh, on that note, I think it's that Deuce Vaughn was like a non-factor. Like they they did not use in the passing game. They did not use Deuce the way that they're going to use him, which I mean, he will have to be a, a huge part of the passing game for K-State, I think, to get to where we want them to go this year. And that's a big part of what you keep on the shelf and, and don't throw out there for Mizzou. But it is frustrating. I mean, and I understand they, they only had two receivers out in a lot of the patterns. They weren't trying to do anything too particularly tricky or creative. But when we have seen these receivers over and over again, I mean, the point works both ways. If you're going to say, well, these guys have been here for a while. They're really experienced. That's all great, but they've been experienced at, at being underwhelming as, as receivers. Malik Knowles is electric with the ball in his hands, electric an unbelievable playmaker with the ball in his hands. But there's just not been a time in his career yet where he's proven that he's a real game breaking wide receiver in terms of everything that goes into it, route running, getting open. Um, it, the problem has been like getting the ball consistently into his hands. Philip Brooks, I love a lot of what he brings, but you're right. The size can, can be a hindrance sometimes there. Cade Warner, great leader. That's all, that's all fine and can be solid for you, but he's not, he's not going to be a game breaker, uh, at receiver. So yeah, I just, I have concerns. I'm not saying that it's all over. Like we want, it's done. No, I liked a lot of what I saw from the team overall, but I would be lying if I said, you know, looking at this game, I'll put it this way. For someone, a Nebraska fan, if they watch that game or somebody who just kind of knew what Adrian Martinez's reputation was, someone neutral, not in the thick of it like us, they would probably look at that and be like, hmm, yeah, there's going to be some problems uh, in that passing game throughout the year. So I just I think they have a lot to prove, and I'll be – I hope that they come out against Mizzou and make me look like a total idiot, but I, I am definitely concerned about it for the rest of the year. They definitely need a consistently explosive wideout, someone that can at least worry a defense – as, as reliable and a possession guy as Phil Brooks is, I don't think he is that. Um, I don't think Cade Warner is necessarily that just because he's not an explosive playmaker necessarily, and he's probably more of a possession guy too, right? So I think it has to be a Malik Knowles or an R.J. Garcia. One of the and, – and, you know, Garcia only seeing garbage time snaps for the most part doesn't give you a whole lot of confidence that, you know, I mean, I heard really good things about him. So maybe they're just going to bring him along slowly because they're probably going to need him if he's that – kind of skill set that they were talking up in the, the preseason. I, I will say they did find ways with the same receiving core to be somewhat effective last year in the passing game. I mean, they averaged 9.1 yards per pass with Skylar Thompson. Now I know, look, Skylar Thompson's on an NFL roster currently, but I think Adrian Martinez is going to play much better and he's going to take shots downfield. And I think Adrian Martinez is going to be good here. So I'm not necessarily worried about that. Um, you know, if you, if you look in the grand scheme of things, I think we need to reflect back and that Adrian Martinez really didn't have a spring ball. It's a new offense. He only got really a couple of practices in. They did off-season workouts in the summer. They threw the ball around seven on seven, et cetera, when he was fully healthy. But this is a new offensive system installed by Colin Klein. This was game one. Adrian Martinez really didn't get a lot of work in in the spring with the team and the receivers. So I think there's going to be some bumps in the road early on. I know the players told us at Big 12 Media Days they didn't expect that to occur, but it's only natural that there's going to be some hiccups and you know they're going to get in sync over time. And I think we'll see a jump here from week one to week two, and things will gradually improve and get better. So I would expect that to improve as they get more practices under their belt now and actually have game film to look back and assess. I'm still under – the impression and maybe it's a little bit of hope too i get that 
we we don't know. Like I, I think we'll I don't think we found out necessarily anything offensively from that game. Um, on the other side of the ball, you at least found out you, you have a lot more team speed on defense, but offensively, it just they took so few chances. I don't think we found out a lot. That's that's all probably fair. And I'll throw in too. I mean, it's look, Colin Klein. I mean, he's he spent a little bit of time in his career to previous stop being an offensive coordinator, but this is uh, this is really him taking over like full fledged at a at a school like K State for the first time as offensive coordinator. And there are probably going to be some growing pains there, which I'll point out as good and bad. I think that means that like game one, there's definitely some things that can be you know, like kinks that will need to be worked through and and all of that. But at the same time, it is pretty unproven. I know we all love Colin. He went into the ring of honor, which congratulations to him for that on Saturday. Uh, we all love him and think he has a really high ceiling and a lot of potential, but it is unproven. He, he is unproven as an offensive coordinator. And so that is something that's going to have to come uh, throughout the year. All right, let's move to the defense. Uh, there are a couple other guys I want to talk about offensively, but kind of move later on to like some, some individual standouts for now. Defense, bigger picture. Um, I Fair enough, D.Y., that they, South Dakota did have plenty of drops. Those, those receivers were not very good, not helping their quarterback out much at all. But, uh, man, I, I just – it feels like the defense has developed so much depth. And even at, at linebacker where we had a lot of concerns, I mean, one of the guys that impressed me and stood out was Desmond Purnell, which is really nice to see along with with Austin Moore and Daniel Green. And, I mean, Austin Moore, I think, continues to show that he is, he is better than what the perception of him is. Uh, and then you throw that in with all the bodies we already touched on on the D-line. And the secondary having to play really shorthanded and, and playing a ton of different guys uh, still did more and hold their own, obviously, in a shutout. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to know what, what, where some of those breakdowns were in the in the passing windows that were afforded. Um, probably a little bit more than you'd like for South Dakota, I think. Uh, you'll take a shutout any 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 day of the week, obviously. But, uh, you know, if you're going to quibble, those would be the the items that you quibble over. And I think some of that is probably the, the newcomers at safety when you're, you're probably – lacking the necessary communication when the bullets really start flying on a Saturday for the first time. Um, but I will say this, if I feel like I'm going to take away maybe the biggest positive from that game and it could be the defensive line because that was the best position group of on the entire team. I get it, but I kind of felt like I knew what I was going to get from them going in and I felt like I got that right. And I felt like I got what I knew I was going to get from Deuce and guys like that. But especially without Sean Robinson and without Will Honus, I thought the linebackers played a lot better than I was anticipating. I mean, Austin Moore, you could make an argument, had a better game than Daniel Green. Um, he was, I thought, the best linebacker on the field for Kansas State. Uh, he led the team in tackles. And it wasn't like waiting for the tackle, to, waiting for the guy to get to me, right? He was making a lot of those tackles at the line of scrimmage. He's helped by having an elite defensive line. But I thought he played a heck of a game. And then – like you said, Desmond Purnell, um, I was kind of surprised he was going to play, right? Uh, figured, you know, that was going to be the Sean Robinson guy. But, you know, you know, he's not able to play. So we get a lot of Desmond Purnell. And he looks like he's flying all over the field faster than I remember him when he was at Hayden Catholic in Topeka. So that's another bright spot. Just the linebackers in general kind of floored me. And then on top of that, to Lee Duke, yes. there were times where I thought – maybe not as twitchy or as laterally quick as I remember, even though it wasn't far from that. I think he may have lost maybe like a 10th or two tenths. I think there's a little bit of a difference, but 
his conditioning level didn't look that bad, and he played north of 20 snaps. I think he played 30 snaps, actually. And he still played fast. And so I, I thought we got a lot better Khalid Duke than I was anticipating. Agreed. Same here on Duke D.Y. That was one of the things that stood out to me and I felt encouraged about as they got him on the field for 30 snaps. And I thought he moved pretty well. I mean, and they felt comfortable dropping him back in space. I mean, most of the time he was dropping out into coverage. I mean, there were like a third and 17. I was watching him dropping back 15 yards out into space. They only really had him rush, what, just a handful of times, go after the quarterback and um, that was probably by design. And uh, look, I think he's only going to get better. And from a confidence standpoint for him, just to get out there on the field and run around and be able to play that many snaps probably feels good. He's now been hit. He's now played in action on that knee. And so I think that's huge, especially with the concerns we had around linebacker depth. And then Sean Robinson not being out there and Khalid Duke being a question mark entering that game to get him back and have him play so much. It's only going to increase from there. So that's a great sign. D-line was phenomenal. Uh, love the, the depth they have up front. I mentioned the DN position. I think they got four guys at least that can really shine between Matlack, Felix, Brennan Mott, Jalen Pickle, um, and others. And then linebacker Austin Moore once again proves how solid he really is. You know Daniel Green's good. And I also I'll just throw in another guy. I thought, Jake, I thought Jake Clifton played decent when he was in there, a redshirt freshman or the true freshman linebacker, and they got him over 20 snaps, which is significant. The defense played 34 guys. So you basically went three deep at every position. Heck, I thought, again, I'm going to butcher his name, Uso, the third string nose tackle. I thought his 12 snaps, I thought he was really good when he came in in the second half and played well. So it really just showed that the D-line depth they had and secondary, Julius Brintz, Echo, Boydo, really solid, didn't have to play a lot. I mean, I think, heck, I think Echo and Julius Brintz were 30 snaps or under right around there. Um, they played with attitude. They flew around. They hit people. They laid the wood out there. And the guy that really stood out to me, and I think a lot of people, was Kobe Savage. I think we thought Savage would be good, um, but I didn't think I expected him to be that good. I mean, he really shined and was out there flying around, and he was hitting people. So you feel better about the safety position, in my opinion, because I thought Sincere Mason moved around pretty well, too, coming off the knee injury last year. He played a good game. He had the interception. Uh, I thought he was solid, and, and they did all of this without Josh Hayes, who might be the guy they're they're most confident in at the safety position. Yeah, he's their best safety. Is Josh Hayes? They didn't even have him. No, there's a lot to be excited about, and, and I'll, I'll I'll leave you with one thing here uh, for the defensive side, uh, observation wise, and it's actually was it's behind a paywall for us, but I'll give it out here at on three, but. Uh, most defensive snaps. Do you guys know who that was? It was not a starter. Uh, it was, not a it was starter. O- Omar Daniels, I believe, right? Omar Daniels had the yeah. more snaps than anyone on the defensive side of the ball. 45 snaps, which is good because he's going to they're going to have to rely and count on him, yeah. you know, and major Big 12 games. So it's great to see him get that many snaps in week one. But it also goes to show you how fresh they were able to keep some of their studs like Julius Prince and Felix and DK Yazama. Who also looked good. I mean, it was like all the stars were oh, out. Fields couldn't be blocked. Yeah, he Ju- was Julius Brents laid the total wood on somebody at one point. There had a had a hell of a hit. Kobe Savage was fr- flying around hitting people. Daniel Green had one of those plays where he just blew somebody up. So, yeah, I mean, you have to love star power produced uh, certainly on on the defensive side of the ball there. So, yeah, excited about everything we saw. That I, I really have, I, I have no complaints there at all. Um, T- tackling was suspect at times. Yeah, I mean, okay. It, feel, it feels to me like it's it's pretty nitpicky on the defense if you are. Especially but week I, one. I if you're going to quibble on tackling week one, you're in a good spot. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, what DY said, the the, the passing, the, the secondary, there were some holes, openings, especially in play action, and Big 12 teams are going to exploit that with RPOs, et cetera. So they got to clean that up. They got Drake Cheatham a few times in play action. Yeah, so they're going to have to fix that, and I think they will. Uh, but they played a lot of freshmen. I mean, they played double-digit freshmen on offense and defense combined, but on the defense side of the ball, B.J. Payne got a ton of snaps. True start. freshman got a start as a true freshman. Um, at the safety spot, Jake Clifton, we mentioned Jacob Parrish played 30 plus snaps at the corner position. I think if you go down the lineup, probably six or seven freshmen, Omar Daniels is a redshirt freshman, led the team in snaps, as you guys mentioned. So got a lot of guys, some valuable experience and look, South Dakota was a, a good offensively. They were a team that returned four of their five starters up front and they were one of the better rushing attacks in the FCS and returned four of their top five running backs. And I mentioned on the last preview pod of the game, this was a team that ran the ball a lot. They led the Missouri Valley, the 12 teams in the Missouri Valley. They tied North Dakota State for uh, most rushes per game, I believe. So nobody really runs the ball more than South Dakota, and they have an effective attack, and and K-State stepped up to the challenge. Kansas State's havoc rate was north of 40% at halftime. Yeah, Yeah, which is pretty ridiculous. 40% 40% of the time you're you're creating havoc in, in some form or fashion. Great showing by the defense, man. And and it's been outlined. It's been addressed. One of the best parts of it is that it looks like the future is pretty bright for a lot of guys there too, not just this, this present team, which we know there will be plenty of losses after this year. So all good things there, playing a lot of dudes. Now, as concerning as the passing game is, uh, if we feel like this team is going to get to Arlington, the Big 12 championship, there, there will likely be a close game or two along the way right and if you're having to line up for a 39 yard game winning field goal down by one uh how confident are you right now if you're k-state because uh chris Tennant missed an extra point and then missed uh it was a 43 yard field goal i believe do i have that right oh yeah man that would surprise me if it was that long but you might have it right i i want to say it was like a 42 or 43 yard field goal either way there are concerns there now because, I mean, we've heard about his leg. I mean, we know that he has a big leg, but accuracy has been the issue, and now you miss two in the the opener like that. Now, Kleiman's a guy that's, you know, he rolls with his dudes. He's pretty confident typically in his guys. He'll support his guys. He'll stick up for them. But I, I don't know. Where, where is where is the kicking game on the, the list of concerns for you, D.Y.? It's near the top. Um, I think you'd be kidding yourself if it wasn't. Uh, with that being said, I wouldn't abandon it because you can really ruin a kid that way. And for only being in the second year in school, I don't think that warrants that over. We'll see if it's an overreaction at this point. I, I think you're really, I think you do what Chris Clyman's doing right now and you continue to, you know, fan him up. And I hope that the, the switch and the confidence kind of flips and it, it works itself out. I mean, young kickers, you know, we'll, we'll see how it happens. Uh, you, you asked me in a few games, that's probably when I'm ready to make a decision to, to Boulder go. So I think the next few games are probably what dictates my direction. My confidence level with him probably depends on the length of the kick. If it's north of 45, he seems automatic. It's He's got to turn, he's got to get a putter out or something because right. that, that's where he's struggling. Right. Yeah. It, was yeah, 40, it was 43, by the way. It was a 43 yard field. Yeah. Yeah. He made a, what, the 50 plus yarder at Texas last year. I uh, drilled it. Yeah, yeah, he's got a huge leg, as you guys mentioned, and he was a very talented kicker coming out of Mill Valley, I believe. Was it Mill Valley, D.Y.? Yeah, yeah, Mill so Valley. he's – yeah, so he's – look, very talented kid. He's a true sophomore. 
we knew they loved him going into last year as a freshman. And then if you remember the Kansas game, he missed an extra point there in Lawrence as well. So now he's missed multiple extra points. Um, and then he also, he had an extra point on Saturday against South Dakota that was really low. I mean, it, it guy got a hand up, could have potentially been blocked. So do have some concerns there. I think that ultimately what you worry about with kickers, especially young kickers, is just the mental side of things and the confidence level. And for this to happen again for him, he missed the extra point last year. And then this, he didn't have a great year last year when he came in. You worry that he loses his confidence. So they're going to have to to handle that carefully. Uh, Ty Zentner's the backup. You know, he does everything. He punts, he kicks off. And if things don't get fixed, they'll have to go to Zentner, who's a veteran, but they've They've never made him really the starting place kicker. So I don't know what their confidence level is in him in terms of accuracy. Another guy with a big leg, we know, but I, I don't know about the accuracy. I, I certainly think he's good enough to make extra points. I, I, I think Tennant will be fine. Um, but yeah, it's something to monitor for sure. I think that's our biggest concern on the special teams front. Otherwise, they're they're rock solid on special teams. I mean, he's super talented. He was one of the best kickers in the country. Yeah. His high school class. I mean, they, they tossed around the idea of scholarshiping him as a high schooler. I mean, he's yeah. that talented. It is for kickers. It's always mental, right? And and, and you can see it. He could probably make a seventy-yard field goal. I think we all know that. Like that's the kind of like leg that he has. Um, I, look, I'm not a kicking coach, but it almost looks like he really like tries to pull the string and guide it on those smaller kicks because he really slows his leg down. Mm, wow, man, you're breaking down tape. I tell you what, you're you're grinding tape if you've got that uh, that analysis down because I, I did uh, not have we'll that. Probably, I didn't have that he, note on tenant. Yeah, we need to get Sean Snyder on here. That's the only kicking coach I got. I was just thinking about that, you know, and I'm sure he could provide some notes if uh, if he really wanted to. I do have another game or two that I want to touch on, but first, uh, look, the wait is over. You can uh, you can gamble on sports in Kansas. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is officially live in Kansas just in time for football season. That means betting legally on same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, and more anytime and anywhere across the Sunflower State. To celebrate, DraftKings is giving New Kansas customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on anything and get $200 in free bets instantly. $200. Want more action for opening night kickoff? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. Get up seven, you win. Bet on any pro football team of your choice. And if your team leads by seven at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KCSN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. That's code KCSN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700, 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. One early win token issued at opt-in. Money line bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility in terms of DraftKings.com slash Kansas on behalf of Boot Hill Resort and Casino. And hopefully you did not take my Stone Cold Lead Pipe lock to the bank because that did not work out very well because Colorado might be the worst Power 5 football team in America. Thank you, Buffs. But I wasn't well, the only you, one that lost, right? Did, did somebody else lose? No, no. Cole took North Carolina minus one and a half. And they won because of a missed two-point conversion. They won 63-61. Hey, D.Y., in my defense, that would have been a bad beat for me if they lost. They were up 41-21 to in the fourth quarter. All right? They were okay, handling bad they gave up 40 points. They gave win. up 40 points in one quarter, and you still won the bet, Cole. Yeah. Well, I don't need your feedback, Buff fan. All right? <laughs> you know, if you're coming at me, you know, 
I, we, I tried I was to warn you. I was back at you because you were calling me off for the Penn State cover, which was far less embarrassing than your North nah, Carolina. The, uh, the North Carolina game was absolutely nuts. Uh, and look, I didn't feel good about it. I, I got a bad number because when we recorded it on Wednesday and I gave out the minus one and a half, you could have had it at plus three on uh, Saturday. Somebody, somebody knew Josh Downs wasn't playing ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. Not me. Obviously, I don't. Mac Brown didn't let me know, even though we're tight. But um, so yeah, Dy uh, and I want to know. John, zero and one, but the defending uh, champion coming out of the gate slow. Eager to see his pick uh, this next week when we do our preview <laughs> pod for the Missouri game on uh, Thursday, which drops Thursday morning, folks. Yeah, well, so. Gene Chizik, uh, Gene Chizik, not doing not doing so hot as North Carolina defense coordinator, <laughs> right? He had a, he had a worse week than I did. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, worse week than I did. Uh, two names that I was going to bring up offensively that I think a lot of people took note of. Uh, Jake Rubley. Jake Rubley gets out there and plays and looked pretty impressive, man. Pretty poised, moved around well in the pocket. Uh, through the best ball of the night, uh, through a really tight window. Uh, I was, look, I'll be honest, like after everything we've heard about Rubley, that he just had, had struggled quite a bit since coming in, which I think in large part was due to missing out on his senior season of high school because of COVID and trying to move. And, I mean, he went through a lot yeah. uh, trying to get some football in that that senior year. So it, it makes sense. It stands to reason it would take a lot of time for him to get up to speed. But, boy, we've seen a lot of Will Howard. And to be fair, he got thrown into the fire earlier than he should have. But I, that Jake Rubley looked better, it feels like, than most of what I've seen out of Will Howard since he's come in throughout his career. That was that was a very encouraging sign to see Rubley uh, playing the way that he did. I'm glad you're pointing both of those out because as much as I mean, we're always going to critique the quarterbacks the most, they're under the the fire, so to speak, from us, from everyone. Um, they're They're on the center stage, right? So I get that. But both of those guys have had tough situations. Those quarterbacks that had to deal with that whole COVID weird, you know, weird year that they're their beginning of their careers were probably a little unfair and probably should, you know, pause our barometer on them because of that. Um, but we are we have seen probably enough of Will Howard to this point to to have a better gauge on him than Jake Rubley. Small sample size with Jake Rubley, so I'm not here or ready to make grand sweeping conclusions, but I'll share what I did on our site. I thought the biggest takeaway I had is that the moment was not too big for him. He looked like he belonged. It was just a poise and a presence. He looked calm. He was navigating the pocket, you know, weaving in and out. I think the only mistake he probably made was taking that sack. Um, It looked like 
His first read was Seth Porter, who was essentially tackled on his route, and then he kind of panicked, and the guy got him. That, that was probably his worst play because um, he had enough protection where that shouldn't have been a sack. But, you know, with all that being said, well, he threw the best ball that I – you know, scrambling to his right and getting Will Swanson through a tight window. Um, the way that he was in it, you know, weaving in and out of the pocket. And just, he just had a presence about him. his poison and presence is what stood out to me. Yep. Yeah, I would echo that, D.Y. I really loved how he moved around in the pocket. I mean, he navigated the pocket and he, he showed a little athleticism as well. And I love the play where an unblocked guy essentially comes in, hits him right on the chin, and he gets the ball out to Christian Moore under pressure for a four or five-yard completion. That was impressive. He went four for four, 42 yards. Um, The pocket presence was really wowed me, and this is a redshirt freshman. Uh, Look, I I certainly feel a lot better where Jake Rubley's career could head after actually seeing that on-the-field performance. I will hesitate because it's a small sample size. I'll caution everyone. We just mentioned that. Will Howard has had spurts, too. And that sample size where he has looked good, similar to that. So we're going to need to see more. Um, but it certainly shows you that there is some potential there to work with. Uh, I think we got our answer that we had questioned, would it be just a helmet situation coming off? Like Chris Kleiman had said, would it be Will Howard if, you know, you had some garbage time and could play him for more than a quarter, you know, in one of these types of games? Well, they went with Rubley for the longevity of it. So I'm, I think question marks are going to be raised eventually is is Will Howard. If there was, heaven forbid, a long-term injury at Adrian Martinez, would it be Will Howard or would it be Jake Rubley? So I'm not sure. You know, yeah. what, what's your what's your answer to that right now, Derek? I think it, it is probably still Will Howard. I don't think we've seen enough to say, oh, Jake Rubley is better than Will Howard. At least I have not. Uh, I'm not saying you guys have said that, but I but I – I would still think it is Will Howard. What I will say, where I think Jake Rubley trumps Will Howard, is from that, like what I was talking about, from a poise, presence, confidence, just going out there and acting like you belong and believing that you belong. I think Jake Rubley had that in spades over what we've ever seen from Will Howard. I was going to say, I mean, that's been the issue with with Howard, right? I mean, it sounds like in practice, he's great when the, the lights aren't as bright and uh, obviously can, can showcase his arm. And we've seen him bust out some, some big runs, you know, I mean, he can be faster when he gets ahead of steam than you would anticipate him being, but yeah, it seems like it's a lot of it has been um, uh, the mental aspect of the game and, and poise and all those things we just raved about for Rubley. So that, that would be the interesting part of it. How would it actually play out when you get them out there on the field? But either way, I mean, it, it makes you feel better if, if something were to happen to Adrian Martinez, once again, God forbid, if K-State winds up in that position. We'll have plenty of time to talk about Missouri later on this week. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a fun week. I'm already getting people angry on the internet, so you know that's going to add to uh, the atmosphere this week. Our our producer, Tucker Franklin, Mizzou guy, works on the uh, Mizzou pod on on KCSN that you should also check out. Look, it's going to be a fun week. And I think we all spent some time watching the Tigers and their season season opener against Louisiana Tech where, I mean, pretty solid. Honestly, a little better than what I expected to see out of Mizzou, even if they still, I think, have have pretty big problems at quarterback. I'm not sure that I'm believing in that, dude. But the thing that was surprising was to see the line open at nine and a half some places. Now, you can also find it. I've seen it as low as like eight now, depending on where you look. But I expected more along the lines of like four, five, six with K-State to be the favorite over the Tigers. And instead, jumping out at nine and a half, I'd, man. Uh, it, Vegas apparently is confident or thinks there are a lot of suckers that that will come in and they can just steal their money on, on Mizzou there. But either way, uh, that has me feeling a little bit more confident about K-State heading into Saturday. 
I think it was nine and a half on a couple books, and most of them came down to eight and a half. It opened up at seven and a half on DraftKings. Uh, is now up to eight and a half on there. So I think they're all finding the happy medium of eight and a half. You know, after seeing what we saw from Kansas State and seeing what we saw from Missouri, I think before the year I was thinking seven and a half might be the, the max number that I would see. Um, I'm not sure I saw anything in week one from either team that would get me off of that. So I, I would say the eight and a half, nine and a half number is bigger than any of the three of us were expecting. And if you want to kind of check out the diagnostics of that kind of situation, if you want to look into the number and say, you know, what is Vegas trying to do? What are they thinking? I mean, man, if you put out a bigger number than expected, it's because you want public money the other way. So they wanted the public money on Missouri and they're in the still in the business of making money, these sports books. So they want the public money from Missouri. I, I feel like they're a little bullish on Kansas State. Yeah, you said what I was going to say, D.Y. It, it feels like a line trying to trap the public. It feels like the Missouri plus nine, nine and a half, that's going to be a public play. And that should make you feel good if you're a Kansas State fan because the sharp money, in my opinion, will probably lean toward Kansas State. And so uh, yeah, I think going into the season, I would have had it around seven. Um, and I thought based off both teams' performances, I, I thought it might even be a little less than that, like John said, like five, six points. But uh, Vegas knows, man. So maybe there's just some overreactions to each team's week one performance, even though, look, K-State won 34 to nothing as 25-point favorites. They Let's be clear, they they did what they needed to do. And Missouri covered as well against Louisiana Tech as 20-point favorites and won by 28, but Louisiana Tech was the ninth-ranked team in the preseason poll out of 11 in Conference USA, which is not a very good football conference. So, um, look, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. But, uh, yeah, I think I feel comfortable taking K-State at the line because just largely because the public money is going to be on Mizzou. My first, my first takeaway from Missouri is that they look faster on defense. And I think that Luther Burden is a stud. But I don't, I don't know if they have the best ways to get him the ball yet. Look, look that D line is going to test K State's O line, right? Yep. Do I mean that KT Levison's going to be under some pressure? We haven't talked about the O line, but just on that note, I thought, I think we all thought KT Levison played, played pretty well. Yeah, um, he played pretty well. Christian Duffy was probably the best guy in the line. Yeah. So, hey, that's encouraging, man. The, the tackles played well. Obviously, the, the Taylor Portier injury. Uh, you got to hope that's not significant and that they can get him. No back. update on that yet. Yeah. I know that's probably Kurtz's next question. No update on Portia. I don't know where that yeah. one's headed. Yeah. Uh, any any idea on the other guys on defense, like Hayes, Honus? I think Hayes will be back. On Robinson. Hayes will be back. Not sure on the others. Okay. Uh, I will say, too, on, on Luther Burden, totally looks like a stud, but when I came – to the tailgate yesterday seeing Cole. I was like, ah, oh, you know, this Luther Burden guy, he looks like a stud. Cole pointed out to me six touches for 43 yards. I mean, is in total what he had. So, you know, to the point of Missouri having problems getting him the ball. So I'm just, look, Tucker, just, I want Tucker to know that I came to the tailgate on Saturday and I was like kind of talking up Mizzou. I was like, they, they looked a little better than I thought. I'm, I'm worried about this. And Cole immediately shot me down. It was like, you know, what are you talking about, dude? Luther Burden barely had the ball. Like what? That's a terrible team out of the, uh, USA, like, no, no, Louisiana Tech, a terrible. Oh, team. all right. But it, it just, yeah. you know, he very much poo pooed any performance that, that Mizzou mm -hmm. had there. And, and, you know, 
He's, he's a very confident guy. I try to give the Tigers some credit. Maybe you can tell Twitter that for me, too. I try to give the Tigers some credit. Well, nothing's personal this week, Tucker, just as an FYI. We're just going to have some fun with this. But uh, I was at that 66 to nothing game in 1999 in uh, the South end zone seats. I believe, uh, I believe Missouri ran multiple option plays where their running back wasn't looking and it hit him in the helmet multiple times for K-State fumble recovery. So that was a, that was a fun one. But uh, yeah, loser burden, like dynamic talent, obviously. But can they, how do they get him the ball? Like, because I, I think the question mark for Missouri is at the quarterback position and, and Brady Cook and he had three receptions for what, 17 yards, four, three carries for 26 yards. Uh, they've lined, up, lined him up in the Wildcats. So, look, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great atmosphere, sold out stadium. I'll be curious how many Missouri fans make the trip. You know, living in Kansas City now, I live out in the suburbs. I don't see, since Missouri left for the SEC, I just don't see a lot of Missouri stuff in my neck of the woods. So I'm just curious what the turnout will be from Mizzou in Manhattan, first time they played since, uh, was it 2011? 2011, so, 2011. I can still hear the yeah. SEC chants ringing in my head, Cole, after Bill Snyder schemed the crap out of Sheldon Richardson and company. Well, I was at the uh, Manhattan Mercury covering Kansas State. I came up with the art head for the newspaper, SEC Later. Yeah, oh, wow. What a... I'm sure that's never been used before. That was very, very clever of you, Cole. Good job. That was back in 2011. It wasn't, so, wasn't common. I, you know, that made me think of, do you guys see the headline for the Iowa? Because, you know, Iowa won 7-3 off a field goal and two safeties. Someone, the, there was a headline in the newspaper, said Iowa victory, and they took out every O and said no O to be seen. Pretty good. Well, Pretty the, good. the Iowa quarterback had a quarterback rating of 1.1. 1. 1, um, so that was – Yes, that was impressive. You know what's and they're, that? Still, they're still a favorite over Iowa State this week. Well, it's a great week of Big 12 games, man. We, we can talk about that in the next yeah. pod. It's an incredible week of Big 12 games. But, um, yeah, it, the the Bill Connolly had a list of the – in the last – I forget what the time frame was, but it was like the last 10 quarterbacks to win a game with a quarterback rating as bad or close to as bad as what that was for Petrus. Skylar Thompson in the 2017 Cactus Bowl. Was one oh, of them. Oh wow! Oh, he had like a four point three quarterback. Yeah, he got pulled after like two drives. He did. That was Alex <laughs> Delton's one shining moment. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, okay, that'll wrap it up for us here. We got a game in, people. Mizzou coming up next. Stay tuned. Uh, gonna have a recruiting update this week. Gonna have a preview pod for uh, Mizzou. The good old Tigers coming up. So. We will talk to you soon for Tucker Franklin behind the scenes for Derek Young for Cole Manbeck. I'm John Kurtz. Thanks for listening to another free month. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.